soul. Devin, there's always somebody. That's <laughs> okay. Um, can you guys hear me through this? Jason, am I being recorded? Okay. Guys, this is exciting. It's exciting because Philippians 4, it's exciting and sad. Philippians 4 is one of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible. Philippians is a book of joy. It's a, it's a, it's a book of peace. It's a book of contentment where Paul talks to us about the bottom line of what it is to rest in grace and to walk in grace and to walk in the spirit. And the key to the Christian life being a peaceful life is walking in the spirit. I'm going to talk about that today. I had a real life example this week that I'm going to share. Uh, I'll just share it right now. You know, I sit and I preach to you guys and I preach the word. And then Thursday morning, I was getting ready for my sisters to come. And I thought I better open all my mail and open it now because that way I can clean everything off and have everything ready. And I opened up mail from the tax appraisal district that said that I was a week behind protesting. And they had taken two of my large pieces of property out of ag, which, which means you're talking the taxes, if it were taxed like it was a house, would be more money than we can imagine, right? For five years to get it back in ag. And I just was kind of shocked, Okay. And I just said, okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. Do I panic? And so I tried to go to sleep, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, there was preaching to me, Diane, just like I do to y'all, you know, and I just said, God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to be content. I'm going to walk in peace. And I wrote a big letter at 4.30 in the morning and sent them to the appraisal office. And I raced up there. And when I got there, they said, we're waiting on you. Come on in. Let's just fix this stuff and make it all right. That is grace. And I said to the guy, I said, if I didn't think I'd get shot, I'd reach over and I'd kiss your bald head. <laughs> but anyway, that is, I'm telling this story because, guys, this is how we live the Christian life. It's no good if I just get up and I talk about it and I never encounter those various trials that James talks about and consider them joy. Was I stressed? Yes. Did I get a very good night's sleep? No. Okay. I am human just like you guys. And so I have to rely on God's word because that's all I got. Today, uh, and I want to preface this for those who are new to the church, those here are my witness. I've been here July the 15th will be six years. I have never spoken on giving, have I? Not one time. So I don't want you to leave if you're a visitor and go, oh, you go to any church, they talk about giving. No, we don't. We never do here. I've even had a couple of y'all say, when are you going to preach about tithing and giving? I said, well, I'm not. I preach about it when the Word takes us to it, okay? It should be as natural in our life as just coming to that next chapter, that next book, when we're just turning the pages, okay? So that's what I want to stress first. This is not a guilt thing, not at all. If there's guilt involved, it, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It ain't any good anyway, okay? We're going to learn that if we give out of guilt, it doesn't mean anything, all right? And Paul, this is kind of the key for the day. He says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindnesses. Paul said, I have learned to be content with stuff. I've learned to be content without stuff. He said, I've been abased. I've been raised up. If you missed Wednesday night, shame on you. You'll, you missed this great teaching. He says, and I have learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> don't worry, I'm not getting choked up, although I should. 
got a frog in my throat. What he is saying is not that you can go and you can win the football game, not that you can go and play the concert better than anybody else. He's saying, I can encounter whatever life brings me through Jesus. That's what he's saying, okay? I want to say that there's 500 verses in the Bible, more or less. Oh, I keep forgetting. I have it right here, all right, on, on prayer, but there's over 200 verses that deal with wealth and deal with money. Isn't that interesting? It's really, really important. It's important because it's part of, of our walk with the Lord, our treasure. I always say that we give of our time, our talents, and our treasures. We're giving of, of talents up here today. We're all giving of time just by coming. And treasure is part of what we give. Um, Jesus taught more about money and possessions than he did about he hell, all right? Heaven or hell. And that's kind of amazing. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My checkbook tells me a whole lot about what's important to me. I don't know about y'all. Some of y'all don't even use checks. You use debit cards or cash. But my checkbook tells me kind of where my focus is, okay? And so it's a reminder to me of where I am sort of in my, in my state of giving, okay? Here's some funny thoughts to start with or interesting thoughts. Thoughts on money from famous people. I couldn't help but say this. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Isn't that cool? I'm not losing you, am I, Tim? You're just resting your eyes. Ch checking his eyelids for cracks over there. Secondly, Vidal Sassoon, that was his boss, Michael ran his operations in Far East, said the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. Did he ever say that to you? I'm just curious. <laughs> but anyway, that's true, isn't it? There's just a lot of hard work that goes into life, and that's how we end up being successful. And then my favorite of all, Malcolm Forbes, y'all might have known, he owns Forbes magazine, ran for president, said, I made my money the old-fashioned way. I was very nice to a wealthy relative right before he died. <laughs> Good old Malcolm. What a great guy. Little review on Wednesday night. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and you'll see that I'm going to skim through the beginning. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, and we, we've, we're not going to go 1 through 9, but pick up at 10. This is what we studied on Wednesday night, and it was so good. I just had to share it with everybody. So don't think that you'll always get this second version if you miss a Wednesday, but you're going to get blessed today. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. He had lost connection with the Philippian church for 10 years. And then suddenly they were supporting him again. They had sent him this guy named Epaphroditus that we're going to talk about over and over. I don't know what Epaphroditus brought. I don't know what he had, but he was a great comfort to Paul. Paul rejoiced that the Philippian church that I think was his favorite church had showed up again and was there for his need. And he said, though I'm sure that you did care, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. This is what we studied Wednesday night when I said, you know, so many times people are yearning for that grass that's on the other side of the fence. Remember we said the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. That's what we said Wednesday. Never realizing that that's where the septic tank is, right? <laughs> that, that's the second part of that. He said, I have learned to be it, whatever state I am to be content, and I know what it means to be a base. And we talked about how Paul was this amazing guy who had been 
studied under Rabbi Gamaliel. Paul was probably a wealthy man from a wealthy family. Paul was an elite guy, okay? It'd be like if one of our senators that we respect suddenly was discredited and for being a Christian and then had this life that was very, very difficult and complicated. He said, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul is saying is, I have learned that I can get through anything that life throws at me if I depend on Jesus. That's what that means about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We learn contentment is learned behavior on Wednesday night. Being contented is where you have to redirect your mind, where you're not running around chronically discontented, chronically wishing you were with somebody else, chronically chronically wishing that you had more money, okay, or always being restless and itching for something that you don't have. And then, as I say, we learn to realize if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you might be looking at the septic field. That's kind of a joke, but I think it's funny. Biblical exercises to be content. These are backed up by Scripture. Number one, we're to give thanks. So if you say, I want to be a contented person, then take a screenshot of this because this was not in your written sermon. I put this in here today. When life is lean, give thanks. When things happened Thursday when I opened that mail and my heart stopped, I said, Lord, thank you that I even have this land to worry about, that I even have this resource to be concerned about. Number number two, learn to rest in God's ability to provide. That's what I did. I said, Taunt Rita, I said, I said, Lord, this is your land. Your money is going to be the money that ends up paying for this mess up that I've done. This is your deal. You do with it what you will. I'm going to rest in you. Number three, be satisfied with what God has given you. Learn to be satisfied. We learned, and Don Bell reminded us because he read the written sermon, that, that Americans are the third most dissatisfied people in the entire world after China and India. And believe you me, I've been to China. I've never been to India. And we got a whole lot more here than they do in China. And yet we're still discontented. Discontented, wanting more. So number three, be satisfied with what God has given you. This is another one we didn't talk about on Wednesday, refuse to compare your situation with others. Isn't it funny how we compare ourselves always with someone who has more than us instead of who has less than us? It's just better not to compare yourself with others. You know, you just, you, you, you don't have, your worth is not based on what someone else has or what you don't have. And then five, I said to get out of your funk, focus on someone else's need. We talked about the need for community and how much it can take you out of your blueness if you will just focus on someone else and focus on ministering to their need instead of being on a, in a pity party and focusing on your own. I want to start off also saying that money and wealth are not bad. A lot of people misquote the Bible and they say the money is the root of all evil. Does the Bible say that? It does. What does it say? It actually says it is a root of all evil. It's not the only root. That's correct. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And Paul tells young Timothy, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. In other words, they got distracted, Michael, by stuff. Michael always says we get distracted and, and, and we get attracted, okay, to the things we shouldn't. 
And it says, and it has pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So let me ask you a question. Who loves money more, the rich or the poor? Why do you say that? I've learned, I've met a lot of poor people that love money. Yeah, we forget that, don't we? Yeah, for the rich, they never have, and for the poor, they never have enough, you know. So I'm just saying, this is not excluded to wealthy people, all right? So why have I never preached on tithing? When I came to, and this, some of y'all are going to disagree with that. That's okay. It doesn't mean that we got to run off mad. When I met Doreen and Randy, they said, how do you feel about tithing, Pastor? We were driving around looking for a place. I said, well, I think tithing was an Old Testament concept. I think that we live in an era of grace. Tithing was three sets of 10% tithes. And so if you really want to be a tither, you better start giving 30%. I'll tell you that too. And I said, the Bible is very clear that what God is interested in, in our heart attitude, God doesn't have 10% of what you own. God owns all of what you own. That's why I don't preach tithing. I'm not going to restrict God and say that God only owns and is in charge of 10% of, of what I have, right? It's all, all right? So that's why I have it. And I know some of y'all were brought up differently and you think differently on that, and that's okay. Jesus said this about, or not Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul, about giving, and he is echoing Leviticus. I'll show you later. This is not just a New Testament concept. It's always been about the attitude of the heart. But this, I say, he who sows sparingly, this is a biblical truth, stingy people will also reap stingily, okay? And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Sorry, guys, but the Word says this. If you're generous, you're going to be amazed that generosity comes back to you. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That means as you've prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to guide you, not grudgingly, not of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's easy to go, well, God loves, and that's why if you look on our giving envelopes, they don't say tithe envelopes. They have that scripture on there, and that is by design. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. And it's echoing something we read, Cassandra, in Deuteronomy 15.10. You can read that. I have that up in huge letters. This is the Old Testament, guys. This is the Torah I'm reading from. Look what it says. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Isn't that what Paul's talking about when he says, don't give grudgingly or of necessity? I'm going to give this, but I sure don't like doing this, Okay. It says God loves a cheerful, or in the Greek, it's a hilarious giver. I want to hear some people back there laughing at offering time, right? <laughs> Let's get hilarious about this thing. And I'm going to talk at the end about things that I've done. Martin Luther, boy, he looks stern up there, doesn't he? Makes me glad I'm not a Lutheran. He said there are three conversions that take place in every believer. Now, this is not biblical, okay? He said there's one conversion. But he, this is kind of an interesting thing. He was a priest that became a pastor. He said, a conversion of the heart. So first your heart gets it. He said, then a conversion of your mind. I would kind of say it's the other way around. It goes from my mind to my heart, 18 inches. It's a long journey. And a conversion of my pocketbook. He said, the conversion of the purse. I thought that was kind of funny. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. This is the scripture for today. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He's saying, I, I was down here. I'm in trouble. I'm in prison. 
and you guys shared in that. Now you, Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, listen to this, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. What an accolade of the Philippians. What a wonderful thing to say about them. I think the Browns have been to Greece, have you not? You've been to Corinth, haven't you? Corinth is incredible. Have you been to Ephesus? Ephesus, guys, is stunning. It makes my hair stand on end. Ephesus, even today, is a great city of these ruins. Paul says, Ephesus didn't give me anything. Corinth didn't give me anything. And you go to Philippian, to the Philippian church, there's nothing there. There's the little jail. Guys, this was a Union Grove Baptist Church of Whitehall. That's what the Philippians were. Isn't that cool? And Paul says to them, you've done well. So it's a good thing giving. He said, and you gave in my distress, you Philippians, when I departed, no other church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Even Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Thessalonica is up on, remember, it was up on the coast. It was a rich place, y'all. And these poor little Philippian church, they were kind of inland. They weren't a port, scraped together their pennies and went up and helped Paul when he was in Thessalonica. Aren't they a great people? No wonder Paul talks to them about joy. No wonder he talks to them about contentment. I think they kind of knew what that was about. And I want us to know what it's about. And then he says this. This is kind of the focal verse of today. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul said, it's okay if you didn't send me money, but I'm just excited that you're doing this because I know the interest that's going to come to you for what you've done. Indeed, I have all and I abound. He said, I'm not in need. I'm not even talking to you about need. I'm talking to you because I see this beautiful thing in your hearts, okay? He said, I am full. I've received from Epaphroditus. There he is again, Larry. You're going to have fun saying his name on that Wednesday night. The things sent from you. And then he talks about their offering. He said, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. We're going to talk about that in a, in a minute. Have you ever been just hungry, hungry, hungry? And you went to a barbecue where they were cooking barbecue? That is a sweet, savory thing. It Just imagine the most amazing barbecue you ever smelled. And, and Paul is saying, that's the way your gift was to me. It was like this amazing aroma of what is, is offered there in the temple, okay? And he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A lot of people say, amen, amen, amen. I claim that promise, but they don't live like the Philippians lived. And we're going to talk about that. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. And listen, all the saints greet you. And especially to those who are of Caesar's household. Paul was telling them in code language, guys, the gifts you gave, Caesar's family himself are becoming believers. The little bit that you gave is going a long, long way. And we don't ever realize sometimes how the little bit that we're giving has eternal grand consequences in the scheme of things, okay? 
That's why it's important regardless of what we do. If you think your gift is too little, like when we'll have these occasional funds, don't look at it that way because that's not how God looks at it. He looks at the intent of the heart. Then he ends, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now we're going to go verse by verse of what I've just gone over from 14. This is called exegetical teaching when I take you to the verse and I show you what it means. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. We learned some biblical truths looking at that. Number one, we see that they shared. There's this word sharing, and we're going to see in a minute. That word share in Greek is the connection of a word with and the word koinonia. Has anybody ever heard of koinonia? What does koinonia mean, Faber? It's fellowship. It's partnership, okay? So he's saying, you've been in partnership with me in my distress. You got in there with me. You got into harness with me. You know, when y'all sometimes join the church to be a voting member, I say, you're now in harness with us. That means you're going to get in that harness, Cassandra. You drive horses, and you're going to pull right alongside with me, okay? And he's saying, you're in harness with me. And he uses that word, sin koinonesantes, all right? It's seen, meaning with, plus koinonia, fellowship. He said, you're in fellowship with me. And also, I don't know why I didn't put it here. Oh, yeah, he does. You have done well. So we learn from that verse that generosity is well-doing, that God desires for us to be generous people. We can get that and exegete that out of that verse. Follow me? And we can exegete that when we're sharing in the distress of others that are in our fellowship of faith, that God smiles on that, that that's a good thing. Verse 15 to 16, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving you only. I'm sorry, I got excited and I, that was a spoiler alert. I had to tell you all everything. I got worked up. But I'm going to talk to you about sanctified giving. When I was on the board of Camp Penile, which is a camp that some one of our members and I went to as children, Chief Whitelock was the guy that had run it. He was this funny guy that would wear a headdress and act like he was an Indian, and he was actually from Maine. He was, he was a Yankee who had moved down here and got fascinated with the West. He made up these tribes and did everything kind of on an Indian theme because that fascinated him. And in the last days of his life, he was sitting with me at a board member, board uh, conference. You were, you were also at Camp Penal with me, Doug. I just remembered. Uh, chief turned to me and he goes, you know, there's just not many sanctified givers now. And I thought, what is a sanctified giver? And I thought, am I a sanctified giver? Sanctified givers are givers that make it a priority, that set something apart. That's what sanctified means, that, that don't feel like things are right if they're not giving. And I've seen some of y'all, and I, and I don't know what anyone gives here, and uh, Sue is my witness. And now Karen's my witness because she's involved with that. Even when my wife was the bookkeeper, I never knew what anyone gave but about two gifts. Somebody gave me one time $5 and said, this is for the bus. I just want, want to get that bus. And we got a bus with that person's $5. But, but sanctified giving, I have seen some of you all put your little dollar bills you know, into a little thing. And you're, you're having worship when you do that. You're putting a, a little bit of money in there that's precious to you, that the Lord's laid in your heart to give, and you're giving it. And that's like the widow's might, okay? And that might be more difficult for some than someone else to write a check for $10,000, okay? And so God just, God figures all that out. 
we don't have to be guilted by it. We just have to say, Lord, that verse back from the second Corinthians, uh, Cassandra just says, you pray about it. You say, Lord, you show me how I'm supposed to be involved in this or that. And God is the one that shows us that. My question's here, where was Corinth? Where was Ephesus, Karen, with all of their mighty libraries? Where were they with all of their grand buildings? They were not to be seen. You know, they were not there. And who are we talking about today? We're talking about the Philippians, not the Corinthians. I think that's funny. So I said, few see giving as a regular holiness living. They don't see it as part of being holy and being different and set apart, guys. And it is. You know, I don't preach it because I don't sit here and think that we should do it grudgingly or necessity or to check off a box. If you're doing that, it's of no value, okay? But Paul just says, you did well when you did that and you shared with me. Not that I seek, this is verse 17, the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And I love this because the word here for abounding is going to be the same word used in 19 when he talks about, I will supply, that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. What he's saying here is when you are giving this amount, when you're abundant in your giving, meaning your heart is abundant and it's overflowing, the Lord is that way with you. That's what he's saying. That's where that business is about if you're stingy, then stinginess. And it's kind of like, you know, what goes around comes around, right? And that's kind of how it works in God's economy. I don't know it all. I'm not God. But as I say, the Greek word, uh, and I said, there will be ones in heaven that people will come up to and say, hey, I'm here because of what you gifted to Paul. I'm here because of what you gave Paul. Or I'm here because of what you gave Sam Robinson when he was trying to teach the kids that were in the neighborhood about Jesus. You know, I'm here because one time I strolled into Union Grove because I was in the wrong place. Or I was here because my wife, Stephanie, hounded me to going to church. I'm talking about Aaron now. She kept saying, Aaron, we need to do this. We need to do this. Well, why do we need to do this? He just came because she came. He wanted to be with her because he loved her. Okay. And he's going to get to heaven. And there's someone that provided the place to be a nice environment. Sue and the other pilot lights that kept it alive waiting for God to do whatever he was going to do here. And then now you've seen fruit from your work. Diane sometimes shakes her head on Wednesday night and says to me, I just can't believe this. And she walks out because Diane remembers the day when it was Diane on Wednesday night and Sandy and, and me. It was three of us for a month. And we almost didn't do it anymore. We said, well, maybe we just need to go down to First Baptist and go to Bible study there, and, and we decided, the three of us, no, let's just do it one more week. And then the kids showed up, right? So I'm just saying, we don't know, Diane, if we had stopped that, what would have happened, right? But the Lord, he didn't let us. He wouldn't let us because we listened to him, all right? And he says to them, this word that I've put there for you is Paul is telling them that what they gave in support had come back to them in interest. What does interest mean on money? You're a banker. What is interest? Yeah, it's the reward that the lender's getting, right? It's why he's interested. It's his interest in it, okay? The lender's interest is the money he's going to get. The interest we get from our gifts is the, is the, the abundance of shower blessings that we get. That's the interest that we get. Verse 18, indeed, I have all and I abound. I'm full. I have received from Ap Epaphroditus the things sent from you. 
that sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And as I said, it's like the most incredible barbecue you ever went to. He says that our gifts to the Lord, Sylvia, are a sweet aroma. They're well-pleasing to God. So when we give our little gift, whether it's a little gift or a big gift, he's looking for the heart gift. When we're giving with that heart gift, whatever it is, it's a sweet-smelling savor to God on high. Isn't that amazing? What a wonderful metaphor that Paul uses there. Verse 19, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In real estate, we have a concept that we say it's all about location, location, location. Y'all ever heard that? Well, in the Bible, it's about context, Dr. House told us, and then it's about context, and then it's about context. Context means how is this statement given and what is the statements surround what are the statements surrounding it? This is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. This is quoted by people that believe God's going to give them a Cadillac. I think of that and I gave this example on Wednesday night of this guy that locked himself in a tower back about 30 years ago and said, God's told me I need to raise eight million dollars. If I don't, he's going to kill me, okay? He would have said, God's going to supply all that need. That was maybe a big greed, not a big need, okay? This, these gifts that Paul's talking about, says those gifts to Paul's work abounded to their account. Paul's tying the verse to 19, and what he's saying is, Philippians, because you've acted in this way, because you've been partners with me, that sin koinonia, that, that with fellowship, because you've gotten in there with me, because of that, there's just a spiritual concept that happens that God is going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Sorry, y'all, he's tying it together, not me. So the context that he says this statement is something that we really need to look at. Verse 20 to 23, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Jesus Christ. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Paul is giving them the shocking news, as I've already said, that some of their little gifts have even resulted, let's just say, in the president and the vice president becoming Christians, or think of it as members of Congress, or people that are in Joe Biden's family, President Biden's family, or you see what I'm saying? And they were probably all just shocked going, wow, that is incredible. So never, we will never know the extent of our humble gifts, really, until we get to heaven. So what does that mean? It means you listen in your heart, all right? You listen into your heart to what you're to give. Jesus said, blessed, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He said, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, Paul's quoting Jesus, that you must support the weak. This is Paul talking in the book of Acts. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting because we never see these recorded in the gospel, okay? These are in the book of Acts. That he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's just one of those heavenly principles, okay? It wasn't just giving a word to the Jews at the time. It's an eternal principle of how things work in God's economy, of how things work in the kingdom of God. It is saying to us, get out of yourself and you'll be more blessed. Isn't that true? When you're focused on yourself and it's all about you, there's no happiness in that. 
And Jesus is saying, give of your time and your talents and your treasure, and you'll be blessed. We would say it differently. It can't be all about you if you want a blessed life. It can't be all about me. When we're so self-focused, there's no contentment in that. There's no happiness in that. There's no joy in that. There's no peace in that. And Paul has talked to them about all these things in the book of Philippians. Now, Devin, listen up, because this is the big idea. It's the summary. So I'm not just poking at Devin. Are you a cheerful giver? You know, don't answer me. Are you a cheerful giver? Uh, when I was, like I said, at First Baptist, I had a sweet friend that sat next to me, this old guy. And he turned to me one day and he said, you know, until I gave God 10%, my life wasn't blessed. And uh, I think what he was trying to tell me is until God got my attention and I had to get under the law and do something to get outside of myself, I wasn't blessed. I think that's. And then he told me something kind of funny. And I, and I thought, well, that's not true. God owns all that you have. He said to me, you give until it hurts. I don't want to give it until it hurts. I want to give until I'm surprised by joy. When I began grace giving, I would give money and I'd be surprised at my generosity because I knew old tight-fisted Scottish Faber McMullen didn't have the ability to let go of that dollar like that. That was Holy Spirit power doing something. That's the power that resurrected him gave me the power to get out of myself and stop living just for myself. Do y'all see what I'm saying to you? This is Philippians. This is what it's about. Learn to him and listen to him about what you're to give. Don't be surprised if it sometimes not hurts, but if it gives you a joyful shock. Sandy and I, one time, several times in our life, have had times where we had a distinct feeling about something we were to give. And we kind of played this game. Remember where we've written it down, and she didn't show me, and I didn't show her, and then we showed each other? And it was the same thing. And it's like you go, wow, that's a confirmation from the Holy Spirit that we're thinking maybe in tandem with God, what God would have us to do, you know. God, and when you do that kind of thing, when you live like that, God will indeed supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Would the outcome have been different last Friday morning at the appraisal office if maybe I had been living selfishly? I don't know. It could have been. Those are the mysteries of the economy of God that we never know. Or if they wouldn't give me a break or whatever. I'm just saying God keeps track of all this stuff. We don't have to, okay? That's in summary. So I want to end Philippians just saying, guys, my prayer for you is that you increase in joy, that you understand the riches that you already have, you know, that you want what you have. You don't, you don't have everything that you want, but you just want and enjoy the things that you have. I pray that for everyone in here. And I think that's what's knitting us together as a beautiful family of God, you know. And I love you all like Paul loved the church in Philippi. That's what I'm going to say. And I'm proud of you, and I love it when I see good things accruing to you because of the things that you do for others. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word from this little book, from this funny little man, Lord, that... Uh, you loved him, and Lord, you entrusted the salvation of the Gentiles to be carried by him. What an amazing thing. So, Lord, I pray that this morning with this message, there's no guilt. Lord, there's no room for guilt in the heart of a believer. There's no condemnation, but we just understand it's just part of Christian living. 
and help us to hear your heart uh, and to respond as Martin Luther said, Lord, to let all of us be converted. That means just to turn to be the way you want it to be. So, Lord, we just give you this day. I thank you for everyone that came. Lord, I just wondered if anyone was going to be here today, and the place is full. We just give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.